Well, Oregon State had the biggest win for any program in the Pac-12 over the weekend and kind of the only big win. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and soon to be mostly team free, but beloved and very loaded conference of champions like comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show, which today is brought to you by Fandle Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more right now. New customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. Oregon State had the biggest win, winners and losers, and then a futuristic question about rivalries all on today's show. I love Monday shows. They're actually my favorite shows to do. Monday shows in the fall. So let's talk about Oregon State. Oregon State won a football game on Friday night. If you are someone who enjoys the, uh, shall we call it the Washington or Washington State or Oregon or USC or Colorado style of football games offensively, this wasn't one for you. Oregon State and Utah ordinarily wouldn't be a high-scoring affair barring you know a bunch of turnovers like they had last year in uh, Salt Lake City, but DJ Uyunglele against what is probably the best defense in uh, the Pac-12 is certainly one of them. Yeah, that was never going to yield a lot of points. And then Nate Johnson slash Bryson Barnes against Oregon State coming back at home after a big loss against Washington State the week prior, out to prove that they are not as bad as they looked the week uh, they did previously up in Pullman. Yeah, that all added up right about how I thought it would. But this is a big win for Oregon State. I said going into the game, that if Oregon State lost, their Pac-12 title hopes were done. Well, guess what? They won the football game, and the season at some level has been saved. Because for Oregon State, the talent they're bringing back, the coaching staff they have, what they did last year, bringing in DJ at quarterback, bringing back Damian Martinez, the goal for this season for Oregon State is to reach, at the very least, the Pac-12 championship game. That is a realistic, attainable goal with the schedule that they have. And to do that, we know you can lose no more than two conference games. Heck, you might only be able to lose one, but if you go seven and two, you're going to have a pretty good chance. So that goal remains within reach for Oregon State, and that's why they had the biggest win. Because going into that game, if they had lost to the backup quarterback combination of Nate Johnson and Bryson Barnes, that would have spelled a few concerns. It would it would have it would have posited a few questions, shall we say? But guess what? They left no doubt about that. When they play at home, they are 14-1 over the last two seasons. The only loss to USC, a game they lost by three points and through four interceptions. They have been that sort of team at home. And they have their biggest games, aside from Oregon, in conference play at home remaining. Their schedule is one of the most favorable in the Pac-12. And they are still able to get to the Pac-12 title game because of how they looked. And that was a really good win for Oregon State. So they had the most important win and frankly, the only important win in the conference. Because when you looked around at the rest of the slate and the results that you saw and the matchups that you had, 
No one is an outright winner this week, not even Oregon State, which I will explain in, uh, in just a moment. Oregon State wins the game, and that's on Friday night, and it was the marquee battle going in, and it's a bummer that Cam Rising didn't play. I still think Utah's a really good team. I also thought, hey, you know, Cam Rising's going to have to come back if you're going to play with the big boys. And we, we saw that, right? UCLA is kind of middle of the conference, like above average, but still middle of the conference. They hung around with Utah. If that game's in Los Angeles, UCLA might win the football game. But it was in Salt Lake City, so Utah wins the football game. But they went and played a conference contender in Oregon State, and you saw what happened there. That's not good enough. You're not going to be able to get it done without Cam Rising. I've seen some suggest Utah's offensive problems go beyond Cam Rising. I don't know that they do. <laughs> I, I really don't. Nate Johnson at one point in that game was 4 of 15 passing the football. Gotta let that stat hang out there for a few seconds, so I did. 4 for 15. I know Oregon State has a good defense. That's a defense that is at least capable of being thrown upon, as Cam Ward demonstrated last week. Now, I don't expect Nate Johnson to be able to play at Cam Ward's level. He's a much better, more experienced football player. But we know that it's not necessarily the best pass defense we've ever seen. And I think they're better than what they showed against Washington State. 4 of 15, though? That's, Cam Rising's not going 4 of 15 in a football game. So his health continues to be the biggest question for the Utes. It was coming into the year, and it remains just that. It, it remains the biggest question. If he doesn't come back, Utah is out as a Pac-12 title contender. They have this loss. That's okay. They could run the table. They could have one more loss and get in on tiebreakers. They've got paths. But without Cam Rising, I don't think you're beating Oregon. I don't think you're beating Washington. And I don't think you're beating USC. Heck, you might even struggle with Colorado. So uh, Cam Rising has to return. And we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen on that front. So let's get to our weekly winners and losers segment. This is my favorite segment to do on the show. This is where I believe the mood should be for each individual fan base in the conference, given the result we saw play out on the field and how it played out on Saturday or in this instance, Friday. Now, there are no outright winners this week. Spencer, you just said Oregon State had a big win. Uh, 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 hold on, hold on. I said they had the biggest win. In the conference. But that was also expected, at least in my purview. Going up against a smattering of quarterbacks who would not start basically anywhere else and are not ready to be or capable of being starters in this conference at home. Yeah, you should win the football game. Oregon State minus three and a half was probably the easiest bet the Pac 12 prime picks have had uh, all season long. So, by the way, Pac 12 prime picks are in the lean win department. Back uh, in the plus column. Still one game under 500 for the season. Looking to change that this week. Only four Pac-12 games on the docket. Got a weird time with uh, buys and everything. But Oregon State minus three and a half. Oregon got off to a slow start, then came back and covered against Stanford. And uh, Cal, I am uh, oddly good picking Cal in the point spread. I am horrible with Washington. I've had them in there each of the last three weeks, sometimes because I've had to. 0 for 3 picking the Huskies, but 3-1 and 1 picking Cal this year. Might need to stick with the Bears. Anyway, so the prime picks go three and two. Let's talk about who's in the lean win department. And let's begin with Colorado. In fact, everybody in the lean win department this week lost their football game, which is just a reminder. This is not directly influenced by, though is related to, the outcome of the game over the weekend. Colorado gets a lean win here. 
Colorado gets a lean win because they played really, really well in the second half. They came back. They made it a game. They hung around. Their defense made adjustments in the second half. Their defense got a stop. The missed field goal. They had an interception of Caleb Williams. Uh, Cormani McLean started playing and looked really good. I mean, you know, Dion had said he wasn't ready before, but boy, that guy looked ready to go. And, uh, you know, I trust Dion at this point and the rest of the coaching staff for not playing him. But boy, at some point in time next year, you're going to have Cormani McLean and Travis Hunter, and that might be the best uh, cornerback tandem in the Big 12. Um, almost got caught there, but alas, I did not. So Colorado, Shador Sanders looked great. The offense bounces back. They were able to run the football in a big way for the first time this year. They threw it well. We knew they could do that. They hung around in the game. The resiliency was there. Everything was there for Colorado to come away feeling like, okay, we're trying to become a bowl-eligible team this year, and I think they're going to be able to do that. And that's a team that looked like they're more than capable of winning at least three more games on their schedule. They will start by beating Arizona State this week in Tempe. My guy, Richie Bradshaw, over at Locked on Sun Devils, isn't going uh, to like that very much, but he's just going to have to deal with it. When you check out Athletic Brews, you don't have to deal with hangovers because they are completely changing the non-alcoholic beer game. Much like Shadur Sanders changed the game with a bunch of dynamic, explosive moments against USC, Athletic Brews is completely changing the non-alcoholic beer game. Athletic Brewing Company is making non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. They're full flavor, well-crafted, just like a full-strength beer. I've got a couple in the fridge, not as many as I used to, because I keep drinking them because they're outstanding. They brew over 50 styles of craft, non-alcoholic beer, including IPAs, Goldens, Sours, and more. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers, use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your online order. That's code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer exclusions apply and conditions as well. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. All right, let's keep going. Colorado's a lean win. You know who else is a lean win? Two other teams that lost this week. The only winner in the lean win department, the Pac-12 prime picks. Love going a little three and two. Was hoping for a four and one. Washington had a chance. They didn't come through. More on them later in the show. Arizona State. Arizona State went up to Cal. And they had an opportunity after a goal line stand to drive and win the football game. They came up short. They did. This is an Arizona State team that is in for a rough 2023 campaign. They are not a very good football team. In fact, they look like the worst team along with Stanford in the Pac-12. Those two are at the bottom, and they don't play each other this year. So Arizona State, when you are competitive like that, is Cal a great team? No. But is Cal a better team than Arizona State? Yes. And this game played out almost exactly how I thought it would. Final score 24-21. I had 24-13. Arizona State was able to be competitive. The defense looks good. I mean, I mean, Cal's offense, you know, is hit and miss. Arizona State's defense looks good. I mean, they held firm. Jade Knott's a really good player, had a big day. What a shocker. Cal won the football game when Jade Knott did well. That's only correlated directly every single win Cal's had in the last couple of years. But Arizona State is a team that went up there, played hard, was scrappy, was in it until the very end. Their defense held firm. I thought they had a good performance overall. They get a lean win. So too does Arizona. Arizona in the late game against Washington. I thought the Huskies would go in there and roll. And at the start, it kind of looked like that would be the case. 
But we saw this against Mississippi State, and now we've seen it against Washington as well. This is an Arizona team that doesn't just roll over and quit. They don't just fold. No, they stay in it. They say, all right, give me two cards. And they look at their two cards and say, you know what? I, I don't know if two sixes and a king high is going to be good enough to beat whatever he's got over there. But darn it if I'm not going to give it a try. And Arizona just refuses to go away over and over. Down by 14, late in the game, Washington gets the ball back. I'm watching it going, boy, I could have a 4-1 Pac-12 prime picks week. Washington go down, score, put the game away. No, stop and score in the other direction. And Arizona was, was within one. Now, I always felt like Washington was going to win the football game. I didn't think there was a serious upset bid there. But was it competitive? Yeah, it was. Final score, 31-24. At home, in front of the home fans, against a really good top 10 team who I power rated last week and would again as the best team in the Pac-12. That's a good performance from Arizona. Jed Fish's team is uh, in for a tough stretch of football games in which they uh, are playing a lot of ranked teams and could be a rough part of the season. I thought it would be before the year. But a good sign there for uh, Arizona and company. Playing with a backup quarterback in Noah Fafita, who I thought did some really, really nice things. So, that's it for the lean win department this week. That's just a pause to let you kind of absorb that. That the only people in the lean win department this week, no outright winners, because no one is on cloud nine jubilation, won a big showdown or anything like that. No, 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 no. That didn't happen. Here's the no vibe category. This one's loaded for the week. No vibe after last week. There are variations of the no vibe, which I'll explain, but everybody fundamentally belongs in this category. Oregon State, Oregon, Washington, Utah, Cal, Stanford. Mm-hmm. I put them all in there. You know why? Let's start with Oregon State, who I began talking about at the beginning of the show. Oregon State fans, going into that game, did you expect to win? Because I expected you to win. And history on this show would tell you, you go in the no-vibe department if you do exactly what I expect you to do. Now, there are variations of like, no-vibe, but it's ah, not great, but it's not quite a lean-lose, it's not a down mood. But Oregon State, winning that game was almost an exhale of relief. It was almost, <sighs> okay, save the season, kept it going, that's what we needed to do, but that's what you should have done. What we've seen for several weeks now. This Utah offense with a couple of backup quarterbacks, if that was Cam Rising's Utah team, then you're going probably in the outright winner's department. But when it's Nate Johnson and Bryson Barnes in there, no, that's what you should do. You're a Pac-12 title contender. You want to play to that standard. You have to look at that game and say, okay, glad we got the win, played a good solid game, but move forward on to the next. Bees, by the way, have a lot of winnable football games coming up, a lot of them. And it's going to be really, really fun to watch. They've got uh, UCLA eventually coming to town. They play uh, Washington, or they already played Washington State. Of course, they play Arizona. They play Colorado. They play Washington and Oregon later in the year. Tough end of their conference schedule. But right now, they're going to play a lot of winnable football games. A lot of winnable football games. So Oregon State goes at the top of, but still in, to me, the no-vibe department. Because that's what I expected you to do. And that's exactly what happened. Same thing with Oregon. Uh, Oregon does not have, look, the final score was 42 to six, which if I said that with no context or information, I'd think, oh, well, that's what I expected Oregon to do. That's what I'd like to have happen. Took them a quarter and a half to get going. Here's a conclusion that I am reaching. The lack of ambiance and environment at the farm 
has an impact on all sorts of teams. Oregon State barely escaped with a win last year. Oregon was trailing after about a quarter and a half this year. Arizona, who I think is a much better team than Stanford, only won by a single point. And then Arizona turned around and played Washington in what ended up being a one-possession game. Okay, that sort of fluctuation, you know what those three games have in common? They're against Stanford, but they're on the farm. Last year, Oregon, who uh, was not as good of a team in 2022 as they are in 2023 by my estimation, they played Stanford at Oxen Stadium. At the half, the game was 31-3. to This year at the half, it was 14-6. to I think that's kind of the way it works. Might have to consider that in the prime picks department uh, going forward. Washington, no vibe. Look, they didn't win by as many points as you'd like to. But when you're holding a team to that standard, and like I said earlier, I I never expected they were going to get upset during the course of the game. I thought, oh, how many points are they going to win by? It ended up being seven. Eh. Not every game is going to be easy. Frankly, I think that was a good thing for Washington to have to be able to execute with some pressure, play a close game, because they're going to get a close competitive game in a couple weeks when they host Oregon in what should be a college game day game. So I think for the Huskies, it's a no vibe. It's not a bad one. It's a no vibe. It's just eh, solid defense, solid offense, solid. Were they at their best? Nope. Was Oregon? Nope. Was Oregon State? Nope. Don't think so. I think Oregon State's defense was at its best. I don't think the offense was. That's why they go in the no vibe department. Utah. I didn't expect anything of them in that game. And I saw exactly what I already knew about the Utes. Like, I have the same opinion of Utah. You need Cam Rising or the season is not going to have a game played in Las Vegas in December. It's just not going to happen. So Utah goes in there as well. And then the Bay Area schools. Uh, Cal is both a literal and metaphorical no vibe in here. Metaphorical in the sense that I expected them to win. I did not expect them to cover. So when you produce the outcome that I fully expected you to do going into the game, I don't think there's a vibe there. It's just, okay, good solid win. Got some things to work on. Not a disaster. The uh, literal no vibe is that at Memorial Stadium, there's no vibe. I mean, we already know this. The, the, The attendance numbers for the Bay Area schools, they're just not very good. And it doesn't help your sporting programs to not have high levels of support from students, fans, and the community. It was packed against Auburn. It's, it's not like the fans aren't there. They're just not inspired enough to go to every home game. As Colin Coward would say, well, it's the Bay Area. They got things to do and whatnot. Like, pff, nothing matters more than college football. It's utter ridiculousness. Uh, Stanford, by the way, gets a solid grade in the no-vibe department from me because Troy Taylor threw one-and-a-half quarters with an it with a completely outmatched roster. I mean wildly outmatched roster. Had a six nothing lead on Oregon. And I talked about the farm environment and such, but the reason they did that is because their execution on second, third, fourth, and short was really good. They were running the football, taking the air out of it, using clock. Their game plan was excellent. They just don't have the talent to match up with the ducks. And everything that I see from Troy Taylor off the field. Recruiting at a top 25 level in 2024. Elijah Brown was killing it over the weekend. The modern-day quarterback and four-star Stanford commit in next year's recruiting cycle. Looks like there's potential there. On the field, yep, lost to Sacramento State. That's a bad, terrible, no good, awful loss. But they've been outmatched roster-wise each of the last couple weeks. And I have seen snippets of good coaching, good game plan, good approach. I think Stanford's got something in Troy Taylor. 
So it needs to take time. It is going to take time. He needs to be given the time is what I should have said to start. But I continue to see little signs of, yeah, I think I think Troy Taylor was a pretty good hire here. Uh, which which brings us back to, to USC. Our friends at FanDuel had USC favored by 21 and a half points. And I, I put them in the prime picks over the weekend. And boy, I was feeling good about that at the half. And then the second half happened. Yikes. But that's how they get you over there. FanDuel's got you with everything you need, though. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers bet $200 in, and get $200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. You got everything from spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, USC fans, let's talk again. We talked a good amount at length. Had a good heart-to-heart, I'd say, on Saturday's reaction podcast. USC is the only team below a no vibe this week. They are in the lean lose department. Can't be an outright loser. That can't be the mood because they didn't lose the football game. Right? Just like the teams that lost can't go any higher than a lean win. But USC's defense, here's it's it's a double whammy for the Trojans. Number one, the defense does not look good enough to win in the Pac-12 or maybe even get to the Pac-12 championship game. I mean, they still have to go at Notre Dame. That's a good team. That doesn't affect the Pac-12 picture, but it affects their college football playoff hopes. They still have to go at Oregon. They still have to play UCLA. I suspect they'll be fine in that particular game. Uh, they still have to play Washington, and they still have to play Utah. We don't know if Cam Rising is back. We'll see. But Colorado ran for almost 200 yards. There have been glimpses of improvement from the USC defense. And yet you look up and you go, well, 28 points against San Jose State, not ideal. One touchdown was late in the game. Okay, granted. But 14 points in the first half. It was kind of still a game. It shouldn't have been. And then you go to Colorado and give up 41 after you gave up 28 to Arizona State. Like, USC has been playing a close game in the fourth quarter each of the last two weeks against teams that they are much more talented than. It's a problem. It is a problem that has to be fixed. Maybe this is the year it will be, or maybe Caleb Williams will just bail him out. But that defense does not look any better. And if Colorado ran for almost 200 yards, what's Utah going to do? What's Oregon going to do? 250, 300? If they play like that, yeah, that's what will happen. So, USC in the lean-lose department this week. Everybody's in the no vibe pretty much. Uh, UCLA, Washington State, of course, on buys, so uh, no vibe right there. The Cougs may be even a lean win because they, uh, they're now up to number, I think, 13 in, in, in the AP poll. I want to double-check that real quick. But I, I think that uh, the Cougs could be in the lean win department. I, I tend to not put anybody in, the, uh, in, the, in, in anything when they don't play. But Washington State is up to number 13 in the country. Big game this week against UCLA. They might be an underdog. Curious about that. All right, so that wraps up winners and losers. Always love that segment. Let's get to the mailbag, which is always open. YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pac-12. DMs and mentions wide open. Long question here from Joshua James. Hey, Spencer, I've been listening to your show for about a year now and enjoy listening every morning. I met a fellow, another fellow every day at the lake here in Southern Oregon. By the way, um, let me know what lake that is. Uh, 
about a month back. He happens to be a Utah fan, and I'm a Beaver season ticket holder. He's going to the game with me on Friday. This was before uh, the game, of course. Your show is practically single-handedly reuniting the conference. Sadly, not not enough, uh, though I may try. Heartwarming story aside, I do have a question. I've heard multiple sources, including talk on your show, if I remember right, saying the Apple Cup and Civil War are dead because even if they still play it, it would be a preseason game and lose all the tradition. To me, it's crazy to say that it would be super easy for the Big Ten to let UW and UO each play a conference game preseason like Stanford and USC always have on Black Friday. The Civil War should remain a home and home. I remember before I was even into football, my mom dragging me Black Friday shopping and I'd find the TV outside Macy's with the Civil War on and watch the Beavers and the Ducks. Love that. I know a lot of Beaver fans say they would rather never play the Ducks again, which just sounds silly to me. If you have hostility towards a team, what better way to get it out than to play every year and try to play the upset card at the very minimum? I agree. And heck, why not use some of that Duck marketing engine for our benefit? I also agree. What are your thoughts? Am I overly optimistic or and or too aggressive? Did you hear Locked on Big 12 about the Pac-12 CFP share being even bigger when it gets to the 12-team playoff? Sure sounded like it might be in the best financial interest of the TV studios to find us a home. So that's what Oregon State and Washington State are suing about right now is they're trying to get control of those assets and all the rights uh, here and to guaranteed to members of the Pac-12. And that's the legal battle that is... Uh, going to play out over the next couple uh, months or so. Um, so stay tuned on that front. With regards to the rivalries, it's not impossible. It, it, it's not impossible or unprecedented even for there to be a late season rivalry. For example, South Carolina and Clemson, non-conference, play late in the year every year. And you're right, because Stanford and USC both have a history with Notre Dame, and they played in Notre Dame at random spots during the middle of the season, you could have a conference game in, say, week two. It's not completely unprecedented. Here's the trouble that you run into. The Big Ten does not care what Oregon and Washington want because the Ducks and the Huskies are just grateful to be there and to not be left behind in the pack. So as a result, I don't think Oregon and Washington can come in at a reduced share and you know they're the last additions to the conference you know, the, the, the run to the litter doesn't get to make demands, right? Everybody else moves the bus. And I don't think that Oregon and Washington, they're not the run to the litter football-wise when they go into the Big Ten. I mean, for goodness sakes, uh, Rutgers is respectable, I suppose. But Indiana is in the Big Ten. Lots of other bad schools in the Big Ten. But just from a, a prestige and pedigree standpoint, they are kind of at the back of the line in that sense. So I, I think that for the rivalries, Oregon and Washington could go to the Big Ten, say, we'd like to do this and have that be a guaranteed non-conference game every year in a 12-team playoff, it is possible because you you can afford to have one or two losses, and Oregon State and Washington State might suddenly be seen as a G5, and everyone has a G5 matchup anyway. I would love to see those rivalries protected and have them play out over the course of, uh, or at, at the end of the season, rather. Here's another obstacle, though. That's not necessarily in the best interests of the Big Ten, right? Because that's an old remnant of the pack. And so if you're the Big Ten, you know what you want to do is start laying the groundwork for Oregon and Washington's rivalry to be the most important thing you can and putting that during rivalry week. So the matchups could still stay, but whether or not you could get them to say, hey, we want to put this on our schedule at the end of the year, Oregon State and Washington State might agree to that. Oregon and Washington might agree to that. But remember, the conference schedule 
gets set by the, the the conference itself, right? The Big Ten will decide, hey, here, here's who you're playing and here's when you play them. And whether or not they're willing to negotiate on an individual level, like we'll let you play this this old rivalry and such. Yeah, I would love that. I'm not optimistic they're going to. I lean on the side of what Oregon State and Washington State want or is in their best interests is the least likely scenario to come to pass because so far, eh, that's happened every step of the way. That's that that that's why I feel that way, which sucks, and and I think that's you know terrible, as I have explained many a times on the show. But I don't know that the Big Ten would necessarily let them. Maybe they would. I would I would love it if they would. I would love if you know the last two weeks of the regular season for Oregon and Washington every year in the Big Ten were Oregon State or Washington State, depending on which school, and then they play each other. But one thing I do know is that that's a big rivalry game, Oregon and Washington, and the one in a couple of weeks, gosh, it's going to be good. It's it's going to be insanely good with big national implications and bragging rights. But I, I think that for the Big Ten, they're going to want to showcase that game as much as they can, and, and that might limit the amount of flexibility that they give to those schools. So that's uh, that's my thoughts on that. I want to make sure I answered uh, your your entire question there. I love the tidbit you shared, by the way, of going Black Friday shopping and find the TV outside the Macy's with the Civil War on, watch the Beavers and the Ducks. I think that's uh, I think that's that's fantastic. Uh, with regards to the you know Beavers and the Cougs having a chance to continue to play those games, yeah, a- absolutely. I think there'd be an added level of juice to it. Not that those rivalries needed it, but I think there'd be an added level of juice given the the realignment landscape. And, you know, it, it would be there, – there's no downside for Oregon State and Washington State, I don't think. Because if you win the game, psh, big G5 or big uh, P4 win for a G5 school. And if you don't win the game, eh, well, you weren't supposed to win anyway. Like that – and then you keep the tradition uh, alive and such. But I worry about the loss of rivalries. It's happened many times before. Missouri and Kansas, once upon a time, were longtime rivals in the Big 12. Missouri left to go to the SEC. Missouri and Kansas don't play anymore. So I wouldn't get your hopes up. It's not impossible. I'd say 60-40, they don't survive, but definitely hoping they do. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And, And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.